We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. And yes, it is actually the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I apologize. I'm coming fresh off of a two back-to-back recordings of podcasts, not for this show, for Fantasy Football Today. Check it out, CBS Sports, if you like fantasy football. But brain's a little scrambled. But we wanted to come back on and talk a little bit about the last couple days of training camp practices. That's Thursday, August 3rd practice. And then Today's Friday morning practice. One was padded, the Friday one. One was not padded practice on Thursday. And there's been a little bit of a rash of injuries. So far, so good in the sense that they're not anything crazy. We've had big injuries for other teams already. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey being the biggest so far, unfortunately, for the Dolphins. I don't think any of these two are are big yet, but they're interesting because they're two, two of the most important players on the roster for the Giants at this point. So let's get start by getting into some injuries. Here's the quick update on these injuries. Evan Neal is officially in the concussion protocol. He suffered a concussion at practice. We'll get into that in a bit. Darren Waller had to get his fingers taped up uh, after blocking uh, after a blocking mishap. I do not believe there's any designation on that. He did not return to practice. Hopefully not broken fingers because in my opinion, that would obviously impact his ability to catch the football. We don't know anything there. But I don't love that one. I don't love finger injuries for for receiving options. Um, but I don't think it's too crazy. Leonard Williams now missed two straight practices. Maybe rest day for veteran. Uh, I think it would be more interesting if it was or, or less interesting if it was one day. The two days in a row is a little scary, but not too scary yet. He obviously is someone who I have my eye on from an injury standpoint after playing through almost all of last season with an injury. Sapped his effect in this. Didn't even really report the injury till later in the season. You know he was playing through it, but he didn't report it. That happens a lot with Giants players and athletes across the NFL. Not every injury gets reported. Not every injury hits the injury report. A lot of these players are playing through things that they don't discuss, talk about, you may never find out about. Um, this is a true fact about it. So we have those. And then we had some injuries from Thursday's practice. And if you want to get us caught up there. Ryder Anderson fell awkwardly on his tricep. And as of right now, Brian Dable hasn't said he's going to be out for an extended period of time or not, but he's out right now. He was not at practice. In terms of Leonard Williams, I do think that's a load management issue. I welcome it. Look, Leonard Williams, everyone can benefit from training camp, but this is somebody who, if you have him healthy, he is going to be a very good football player for you. I still believe he has that. He, what, just turned 30 or he's about to turn 30 years old. He plays on the defensive line. You just got to ensure that he stays healthy. And the Giants are just bringing in defensive linemen. They just brought in Donovan Jeter, a guy who went to the University of Michigan, a D Jeter who went to the University of Michigan who does not play shortstop. 
for the New York Yankees. They brought him in because Jeff Smith, the wide receiver special teamer, was waived with some sort of injury. I'm not 100% certain. I don't know if it has been disclosed yet what happened to Jeff Smith, but Jeff Smith has been waived and Donovan Jeter came in. So they have this deep pool of defensive linemen. We're not certain who's going to make the team, but Ryder Anderson, he's injured, and Leonard Williams, his overall load is, seems to be managed, which I'm okay with. Yeah, you got to manage that load, don't you? Got to um, manage that load. Yeah. Uh, and further, by the way, just a quick, quick aside. There was a weird YouTube comment lately, recently, about someone saying that I am pers- purposely wearing tight shirts and quote unquote, <laughs> pushing my biceps up, which I've never heard that term before in my life. So if you've noticed on this stream, I have positioned the camera to hide my quote unquote pushed up biceps. And I feel like it's a pretty loose shirt for, for the most part here. So I hopefully I can make your day better by, uh, you know, I'm pushing up my biceps there, whatever the hell that means. But Trust me, that's not speaking of the shirt, though, dude. We have to acknowledge this for the YouTube audience. Dan and I have been simpatico. This is the second time in two weeks that Dan and I showed up on this podcast with similar designed (laughs) shirts, and we did not plan this at all. I have a Red Hot Chili Peppers black based shirt with their primary logo. Dan has a black based shirt. It has red on it as well. Looks similar to the Red Hot Chili Peppers Band Kickers shirt. That's what this is. Band Kickers from Fantasy. I was going to ask Band Kickers. Jake Seeley. He's the one who 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 spearheads the movement. We don't want kickers in fantasy football. Pointless. They don't carry over year to year. The rankings mean nothing. They're random. Yeah. It's lock-based band kickers. Yeah, kickers are horrible. We have enough variants in a fantasy league. football game. We don't need to add more variants. I'm not going to lie, though. You could take advantage of kickers if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Just going well, after the week. high over-under. Going after the high over You could do it on a week basis by going after the high over-unders and the home kickers, I believe. It is also part of it. Dome but kickers. On like a, on, yes, dome kickers. But on a season-long basis, that's when it's stupid. In the draft is 100%. when it's stupid. Yeah. 100%. Okay. And people take them in like the ninth round. It's like terrible. It's like, what oh, are you God. doing? I, if you find any league where that's still happening, please invite me. I'm of my league. Yeah. In for that league. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. I'm playing that any day. Um. All right. Let's get back to the Giants. Let's get back to some practice notes. Um, before we get into both of these practices, I want to talk about some things that have stood out to me from a depth chart standpoint, Nick, and get your thoughts on it. We're starting to see a little bit of a steady drumbeat, if you want to call it that, building as far as players that are returning to the first team day after day after day. And I want to talk about three specifically. The first one being Jason Pinnock, who now has for four straight practices, I believe, or five straight with today's been the starting safety. There's no rotation. Bob McCain's not rotating with him. Uh, you know. You don't see McLeod out there. It's Pinnock. Another guy, same case, John Michael Schmitz, Giants second-round pick, has now had four straight, I believe, four or five straight practices as a first-team center. And then the last example of that is an interesting one. Another rookie, Trey Hawkins, who has now been playing almost exclusively with the ones as a starting outside corner opposite Deontay Banks with a Dory Jackson kicking inside to the slot. So let's tackle those one by one and see which ones are most interesting to us. Let's start with Pinnock, who's been playing safety now uh, exclusively with the first team. Brian Dable, he likes to cycle in his players, get different matchups on offense and different matchups on defense. So you're going to see some players who more than likely won't earn first team snaps, start one practice, but usually it doesn't carry over to the second practice here usually is a cycle. Jason Pinnock's case, it's not cyclical because he has been the starter for five straight practices now. And it's not like the Giants are either injured at the safety position or don't have the depth to actually fill that void next to Xavier McKinney because you have Bobby McCain. You have Dane Belton. You have players who can actually start on the New York Giants, not named Jason Pinnock, and he's the one who's starting. So I'm starting to evaluate this. I still think it's going to be a platoon. I do, but who is going to be out there for those first snaps in base personnel? It might be Jason Pinnock. Not just the one-handed interception, which went viral 
around NFL media. It's above that. It seems like everyone in the building is speaking positively about Jason Pinnock. And as we brought up on the last podcast, he's only 24 years old with some elite athletic testing in terms of 10-yard split, which we know is so important to Wink Martindale. And as Jason Pinnock said himself, he's like, I was blitzing a lot last year, but I can do more than just blitz. And I think Wink Martindale is starting to realize that and he might have the shot to fill that Julian Love type of role. Again, I still think it's going to be somewhat of a platoon. I think Jason Pinnock's a really interesting prospect that's not getting discussed enough for the reasons you mentioned, the athletic profile, the fact that, look, it go, went viral. It's cool, the one-hand interception. But when you can show that you can do that on tape, it shows a different level of actual functional athleticism to be able to stab that ball out of the air, off balance, and make a one-handed play on the interception on the ball like that. I also think when you bring up things like the 10-yard split, you look at his history playing cornerback position, that gives him the coverage skill set that I think is interesting there. You he kind of starts to feel like he could be one of the sleepers for the Giants this year. And we look at every year we try, Nick and I will do a podcast as we get closer to the season on breakouts, bust sleepers type thing for the Giants. Probably won't include bust. We never do. We just do breakouts and sleepers. We keep try to keep it positive here, but um, we'll look at breakouts. We'll look at sleepers. Pinnock's probably going to make that list for me because there's a lot of factors in play here that I don't think are being discussed enough. Two of what you brought up. And then again, that coverage skills that he already brings to the table. I kind of look at the safety group right now, and I think he has by far and away the most upside outside of Xavier McKinney. So I actually think he can fill that Julian love role. And for me, Nick, I got to be honest with you. I think there's a chance he could bring more to the role than Julian love did. I, again, I wasn't a huge fan of love last year, I guess, as much as some other people I thought he was consistent. I thought he was in the right spot at the right time. A lot of the time, but I didn't think he filled the alley. Like some of the past giant safeties, Jabril peppers and, and players like that, just Landon Collins. And I think Pinnock can probably be that presence in the alley, that, that really physical guy who's going to crash downhill and make teams think differently about how they want to scheme against the giants on those outside runs that killed the giants last year. I did not feel like Julian love made team scheme that day differently in coverage. I didn't feel like Julian love was doing that great in the deep half. And I didn't think he made too many plays in the deep half. Maybe Pinnock can, maybe he can't, but that to me would just be gravy. If he can add that consistent presence in the alley as a defender, I think he's already potentially providing an upgrade. If of course he can be as consistently smart as love. That's what love. A lot of what love brought to the table was the IQ stuff that can't always be measured, but he's in the right place at the right time. If Pinnock is a similar guy taking the right angles in the place at the right time, I think he'd be a real sleeper for the giants this year. So I'm starting to get pretty excited about him. Julian Love led the New York Giants in interceptions last season. How dare you? Yeah, with what, two? <laughs> Which, yeah, with two, exactly. The New York Giants were terrible. That if Jason Pinnock can, can show his ability to process and position himself like Love did with his athletic traits because Pinnock might be a better athlete than Julian Love. He's a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit more physical than Julian Love. Then you're right. In terms of filling the alley, like Jabril Peppers, Landon Collins, they had some issues, specifically in coverage. Julian Love was much better than them in coverage. In terms of filling the alley, though, those guys were elite in that area. If Pinnock can even come to like a 75% of what Landon Collins was, which is saying a lot because Collins was elite oh, yeah. at this. And you're talking about a, a true enforcer with the addition of Bobby Okereke and all of the upgrades the Giants made on the defensive line. The 28th ranked rush defense last season was the New York Giants. If Pinnock can be that alley defender or at least 75% of what Landon Collins was, maybe even 65%, then you're talking about a, a just true physical force that's going to take that rush defense to a completely different level. I would say Julian Love was very, very good in terms of positioning himself in the alley. He didn't maybe have to pop on contact, but I don't remember many instances maybe we disagree here where Julian love was getting faked out in the alley. No, the one I game that he, that he really sucked though was the, I think the last game against the Eagles. That was the one game where I think he yeah. had like four or five missed tackles. I don't have it in front of me, but other than that, I think he only had like two or three missed tackles on the entire season. 
Yeah, I completely agree. It wasn't a missed tackle issue for me. It was more of just the enforced, the physical presence, getting downhill fast, making plays in the backfield. I didn't really remember him making too many tackles for loss or plays in the backfield. I think maybe Pinnock can bring that because another thing I want to talk about was starting to see more in practices is the re-addition or the rejuvenation, whatever you want to call it, of more dime packages. And that means three safeties on the field. We've seen the look with McKinney, Pinnock, and Dane Belton. And we've seen that more and more in the last few practices. I am a big believer in Belton as well. I think Belton can play the role nice in the deep half. They can use Pinnock around the line of scrimmage, like you mentioned, as like a pseudo linebacker type of player crashing downhill. Then McKinney can be used to match up against the tight ends, match up against the slots, play a robber role, things of that nature. And I kind of like that package a lot, which takes Beavers or McFadden off the field. And partially, you know, Beavers and McFadden have been rotating pretty evenly, I think. Some people have been at Giants camp. I think it was Albert Breer or maybe it was Peter King. We're raving or no, it wasn't either of those two. It was actually um, Brett Coleman did a podcast recently on the Giants, which I would suggest you you, you take the time to listen to it if you want to, Nick. It's like the only, you know, we always talk about off pod, Nick, how we feel like the national media just has such a bad viewpoint of the Giants because they don't watch the tape and they're just like so off on so many opinions. I actually felt listening to that podcast with Coleman that no national, no outside media has ever hit the Giants 2022 or what they actually were better than this group. And they were really good at it. And so they clearly I, I listened. I've heard yeah. that podcast, but they were using actual like advanced statistics to break right. down the New York Giants. A lot of other people are just like, Daniel Jones sucks and Saquon Barkley is yeah. good. Like they have no clue. They're just live football pours. They don't actually watch the tape. Brett Coleman watches the tape right. and he uses advanced statistics. And that's why I respect his opinion. Yeah, me too. And they were really high on that podcast on Micah McFadden. I didn't see it as much as they did on the tape, but they, the way they, they, they were talking about is Indiana days. I think that's okay. what they were referring to. Maybe maybe I misheard, but I thought they were saying we liked him as a prospect coming out of Indiana, I think is what they said. Yeah, they, they expanded a little bit on that, though. They were they were okay. discussing yeah, about like use terms that I thought were a little interesting about what his upside would be. But we'll see what happens there. But in my opinion, getting him or Beavers off the field and putting those three safeties is probably the best scenario for the Giants moving forward. I mean, they're not going to do it every snap. It's all dependent on personnel you're facing matching up against their personnel down in distance all the things wink puts into that but i like to see the dime package moving and i like to see them starting to get it rolling here with belton pinnock and, and mckinney i think that's probably the best trio they have there for the dime package if jason pinnock or any of these safeties can operate in the box and actually execute run fits like a linebacker then you're going to see more of those dime packages because the linebackers last year were not great at lever spill lever type of ways to dictate their defense what is lever spill lever, lever for the for lever the spill lever is when the defensive lineman and the, or the linebackers and it's different from even an odd front giants run a lot of odd front type of defenses but when they're nickel they run even front lever spill lever is basically just how the linebackers flow and how the safety fills lever means you're going to take the outside portion of that lead blocker and you're going to try to force the run inside and then spill means to try to spill everything outside so you're trying to spill everybody outside to that free safety or that strong safety is going to be coming down into the alley. The linebackers last year for the Giants, that was, I don't think I've ever used that term before on the podcast, but that's what so many teams are trying to do is just execute that against power type of teams. You want to take that backside guard who's pulling and you want to cut him off. And what you do with say like the five technique in that situation, you're going to slant him inside tackle is going to block down. And then you need that play side linebacker to lever the first puller and then you need the other linebacker to spill out if the safety is going to be coming down say from like a too high it really depends on what kind of defense you're running and i could probably break it down more when we during the season when we go over plays and stuff like that but we went over so many plays last season that that showed that right and the giants right. were terrible at it we would just refer to it as scraping over the top 
-hmm. but it's also containing when you need to contain and spilling when you need to spill also known as boxing and containing or boxing and spilling, which are kind of terms we've used a lot throughout the podcast, but the giants last season were terrible at lever spill lever. If any of those safeties can, then you can align those safeties in the box that the Giants were doing in lighter packages with Landon Collins, and he had his ups and downs, but he was still a physical presence. But a Pinnock, who has solid size, if he can actually take the right angles, position himself well to eliminate those pullers, power gap concepts, then the continuity of the defense is going to be upheld. And that's what did the Giants in last season. They had no continuity in terms of playing power gap. That's a great point, and we'll have to see if those guys can do that. I think Pinnock has the upside to do it. Now, obviously, you got to put it into play and watch him actually do that, because I do think like what you just said will require a bit of projection because we we will in that scenario be seeing Pinnock in a slightly different role this year than he was last year. Obviously, we discussed this earlier. He's mostly just kind of a blip. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sir, I think that's good, though. Like, I think he can. He can take on that role, I think, Jason Pinnock. And I think he can probably do a good job with it. I'm very excited about him, potentially. Let's get to the second Feltman we talked about there, which is John Michael Schmitz playing uh, basically exclusively now as the first team center. I guess no real surprises there for you, right? No, he had a play against Jordan Riley. It's against Jordan Riley. This is a seventh round pick. Let's keep everything in mind. And this is something we liked about him. He was very flexible in all of his joints in his lower body because he absorbs the contact. And to Riley's credit, Riley gets lower than him and tries to lift up that center of gravity of John Michael Schmitz. But you see John Michael Schmitz just kind of trusting his technique, absorbing the contact, keeping everything tight, keeping everything close, and then setting back on his hips. And you look at his ankle joints. They're like in the ground, and, and it's at this awkward angle that looks like not a lot of people can bend that way. But there's no stress in John Michael Schmitz. He just takes on and absorbs that power. And to Jordan Riley's credit, he's a very powerful player. Not much of a pass rusher, but in these one-on-one situations, you really got to contain that power. You need to yep. absorb that power. John Michael Schmitz did so very well. It's just Dexter Lawrence. When you're going up against Dexter Lawrence a lot, I think you're going to have an easier time with players like Jordan Riley. And that was one thing I loved about Schmitz when I was when we were breaking him down like before the draft, because obviously I was higher on Tipman for the Giants because of what I thought he could bring to the run game on the move. But I didn't think that Tipman was the better prospect overall. 
in in some ways and in one major way was the one you just said i felt like john michael schmitz had a stronger base and he had a much better center of gravity and ability to absorb that contact and he's going to need to have that in the nfc east that's the key thing like you put joe Titman on the line starting day one and i could already see examples of like some of these d tackles in the east just like totally abusing him in the past pass game and seeing similar things to what we saw with evan neal from a balance issue standpoint in pass pro with john michael schmitz that might not be the case he might be able to absorb the contact like you said and just get in front of the defender almost like a um in some ways how charles cross won obviously different positions but similar to how yeah. cross won just by like staying in front of that that defender at all times and that's something i'm going to keep an eye on too and i like that point by you let's revisit after the draft what did we say we liked we love those first three picks we were in love with them we said deontay banks and john michael schmitz though might both struggle in year one and that's okay they're rookies the yep. nfl is hard on cornerbacks it's going to be hard on centers in the nfc east is what we said because look at all the defensive linemen here then look at jalen hyatt we were like, Jalen Hyatt, look, we might not be able to release off the line of scrimmage, run routes. We just haven't seen it yet was our, our main sticking point. But we loved his speed and we thought his ball tracking and all the things that he has shown in camp so far. We love that. We saw that on his Tennessee film, but we just didn't know how it was going to translate. So far in camp, some of these are seven on seven. Some of these are one on ones. But he is exceeding the expectations that we believed he had in year one already. Now, can he translate that? Can he be consistent with that? I hope. But damn, dude. I know we're talking about John Michael Schmitz and we're going through our notes here and Jalen Hyatt wasn't necessarily someone that we had in there to talk about just yet, but I just wanted to acknowledge that, that he's already exceeding what we expected. And that makes me really excited. Yeah. Jalen Hyatt is the number one riser right now in giants camp back to back days, long touchdown passes, uh, catches. He's winning consistently with his speed. He's creating separation and or the Giants are putting him in position to get easy separation off the line of scrimmage. Whatever may be the case, I don't care. If you're coaching it to the point where and you're scheming it to the point where he's able to create that quick release, that separation off the line of scrimmage, I don't care how it's done. I don't need him to beat press coverage every play. I just need the Giants to put him in position where he can get going on the vertical plane and create separation. And that's what we're seeing in camp. And not only is he creating that separation, but he's actually coming down with the catches and making the mm. big explosive plays. And that's something we just haven't seen a lot in Giants camp in the last few years. We just thinking back, like we have not seen a lot of explosive pass plays in camp. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that translates one-to-one -one in the games. It certainly was the case last year where we didn't see explosive pass plays in camp. We didn't see him in the preseason. We didn't see him in the regular season. It doesn't necessarily mean we see him now in camp. We see him in the preseason. We see him in the regular season moving forward. We hope that's the case, but it certainly can't be a bad thing. And we're starting to see those. And the big, a big factor in those Slayton's had a few of them. Campbell's had a few. Hyatt's had a few now. Hyatt's had a lot of them. And Hyatt's playing a lot with the first team. So that's something that's definitely intrigued me as well. And I think there's an uh, there's an actual chance that Hyatt could be a much bigger factor year one than we were than me and you were personally ever expecting before camp. Jeez, would that be welcome, dude? We need it. Yeah, it would be huge for the Giants. All right, let's talk about the last thing that I brought up there uh, in the secondary, which is Trey Hawkins getting a lot of first-team reps now as that outside corner. What do you make of that? What do you think about the Dory moving over to the slot? How does that fit his skill set in your mind? I think Adoree Jackson is probably the quickest cornerback the Giants have. And if he's okay with it, which he is, I mean, you listen to him. He's like, hey, whatever the team needs. He's very team-oriented for a player who's entering a, a contract right. year, which which is there's something to be said about that. Maybe we'll have to monitor it. But I would love to see Adoree Jackson inside if Trey Hawkins can handle the outside responsibilities. I'm not right. sold that he can. I love what I've seen from Trey Hawkins. 
But to suggest that he can handle those responsibilities week one against the Dallas Cowboys, that's a huge step. He needs to he needs to show a lot. Remember, just two years ago, we were singing the praises of Rodarius Williams. Now, he ended up getting hurt early in the season, but he had some playing time early in 2021, and it wasn't all that great once the regular season rolled around. Speed is different. The scheming is different. You're circled by the offensive coordinator, so there's so much pressure on you. And if you have two starting rookies on the outside, both Deontay Banks, Trey Hawkins, are going to get picked on like crazy. So I think there will be certain packages where the Giants may flirt with it if Trey Hawkins continues to maintain a high level of play throughout training camp, throughout preseason, into the regular season, say maybe against Dallas Cowboys, C.D. Lamb's in the slot. The Giants might feel comfortable enough to move a Dory Jackson into the slot to cover him. I don't think it's going to be a mainstay. It's not going to be something that's going to be an every game plan type of thing. I think it's only going to be specific, and that still is like a 99th percentile outcome for Trey Hawkins. Yeah, and for the Giants, too, because we would be in a great exactly. position if that's the case. Things I like about it, um, idea-wise, like from an overall standpoint, I think Dory Jackson showed a lot as far as crashing down on the line of scrimmage on quick passes yeah. in the run game. So I like having him in the slot for that reason. Great point. Great I point, also dude. like the matchup reason. A lot of the wide receiver ones the Giants are facing are like the C.D. Lamb types where you're going to be operating out of the slot. Now you get Dory Jackson in the slot. You get your best corner in the slot to face off again. I think I prefer that to a Cordell Flott right now who can't seem to grasp the position to a full. Like he's still making plays in camp. It's not like Flott is having a bad camp, but he's mixed in and out with the starters. He hasn't done like the Pinnock or the John Michael Schmitz where you've rised all the way through through the depth chart where you're every day getting those first team reps. So I do like that factor as well. Um, just specifically thinking of that Dallas matchup week one, but we'll get to that obviously as it gets closer, but definitely intriguing to me because I've always thought Dory Jackson could be even better potentially in the slot. And then the giants never really had the opportunity to do that because they didn't have any outside corner depth. Now it's starting to feel like they feel a little more comfortable with the outside corner depth, at least this early on in camp with Hawkins, with banks on the outside. And maybe that does lead to Dory Jackson getting more slot snaps, which to me again, could be a good thing. And it also gives the Giants those options because I think Darnay right. Holmes is one of those players on the roster, as we've said, who is when it comes down to cuts, he might be out just because of the price tag if he doesn't take a, a reduction in pay. So now you have a Dory Jackson if Cordell Flott doesn't work out. And if you could trust Trey Hawkins or Imani Oruwarie maybe on the outside, then it just gives you that option to align that way. That's all we're looking for right now. They're testing a bunch of different players in a bunch of different scenarios against a bunch of different other personnel to see how they react. You just want Kafka and Martindale to have different options. So when week one arises, whatever the Cowboys throw at the Giants, they have some sort of plan to handle it. Yeah, exactly. A couple other notes I want to bring up before we get into a little discussion about the offensive line, because there are some interesting things developing on the offensive line outside of John Michael Schmitz, just starting five practices in a row, which is interesting in its own right. But some more interesting things have happened. Before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about Colin Johnson here, who we haven't discussed that much. But what I'm recently reading out of these camp reports is that Colin Johnson's basically the go-to guy for Tyra Taylor in that second offense. Eight target day, two days ago, Thursday's practice, which is insane. I think eight catch or eight target day, just either way, insane volume. And when that happens, when you're going through these practices and you have a quarterback, even if it's second team offense, first team, it doesn't really make a difference for the point I'm trying to make. When that starts to happen, there's a reason it's happening. It's because the quarterback has confidence in you. You've built the rapport and the quarterback trusts you to make the plays when the ball comes your way, no matter what the coverage is, no matter where you're at at that point in your route. They're throwing with anticipation, throwing to a spot. It's starting to happen with Colin Johnson. It's showing me that Colin Johnson is creating separation, showing me Colin Johnson is coming away with the catches that are around his catch radius. He's not dropping passes. He's not missing assignments. It's interesting to me, Nick, because it's like they are so crowded right now at wide receiver, which is something we didn't have last year. 
Colin Johnson's a really interesting player that I don't know if he's going to make the roster because of the special teams aspect of it, but it's almost like you're going to miss out on a potential impact the contrib- or contributor if you do cut him. And I'm just curious to get your take on if you've thought about at all just Johnson's work with the second team and how he's kind of really producing a lot right now with Tyrod Taylor's group. Earlier in training camp, he had that one-handed touchdown thrown by Daniel Jones. So it's not just the second team. Look, the Giants wide receiver, they're the slot machine. It's what we've said, right? They're very small, but you have Isaiah Hodgins and then Colin Johnson and Bryce Ford Wheaton. I still think it's going to come down to Colin Johnson and Bryce Ford Wheaton. I think the Giants are somewhat incentivized. They're a meritocracy, but they're somewhat incentivized to to want to keep someone like Bryce Ford Wheaton since they spent that much on his signing bonus and you have him under contract longer than a player like Colin Johnson who tore his Achilles last year. But this is somebody who just keeps rising to the occasion. Colin Johnson last year, great training camp, great preseason ended up, unfortunately getting injured right now, making waves in camp with Tyrod Taylor. And when he has the opportunity so far to my understanding with the first team, he's also making plays. We just saw Jeff Smith get injured. I think you look at some of the wide receivers on the giants, Cole Beasley, Jamison Crowder, Sterling Shepard. They're all older, more slot type of guys who could possibly be more prone to injury because they're a little bit older if their reps aren't managed properly. Brian Dable has been doing a really good job managing reps, though. You do want these big-bodied wide receivers for certain packages. We talk about options. Other than Isaiah Hodgins, there's no one else who's big other than Bryce Ford Wheaton and Colin Johnson. I think there's going to be a roster spot determined by those two specifically. Yeah, I like that take a lot. And I'm excited to see the preseason, Nick, because training camp's one thing. There's practices. There's no pad, there's no pads for most yeah. of these. There's no pass rush. It's a lot of this is seven on seven drills, which to me are not great to be going off the stats. We get the preseason tape. We're going to start to see how this offense moves and how the passing game evolves and which receivers are actually contributing in game situations. And last year, we even saw a game, I believe, if I remember right, where Dable threw the ball like 40 times in a preseason game. I think like in general, Dable doesn't care that much about running the ball in preseason. If I remember back from last year, he's trying to like work out the kinks in the passing game. And I'm excited to just see all these receivers actually contribute in games and what then I'll get a better feel for who's going to make the roster and who should make the roster. You got to think, why is Brian Dable doing that? Because he wants to know if these receivers can get on the same page with the quarterback and be where they're supposed to be based on the coverage the defense shows. So it's a really great way to evaluate wide receivers against different defenses that they have not seen yet. Yeah, well, a great way to do it is just keep throwing. Call pass play, call pass play, call pass play. They practice the running game. They, they, I feel like they're going to run a lot. Not a lot. They'll probably mix it in, but some of what they're going to run in the run game this year is a lot of what they already did last year. They're not going to reinvent the wheel the same way that the passing game, on the other hand, like you said, if they're repping it a certain way and if the receivers are getting to a certain point, they might be expanding the passing game a lot this year from a schematic standpoint. I think it will be expanded a lot, from it, which is really exciting to think about especially with the the way the room is constructed right now, where you're going to have to release maybe one or two players who could be pretty solid contributors for you in 2023. You might have to cut them just because there's so many bodies in the wide receiver room. So you really want to get the film on them to see who best fits your offense. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, All right, let's talk about a little bit of the development on the depth chart on the offensive line here, which I think is interesting. We've talked about John Michael Schmidt repping out a ton with the first team, basically only with the first team now, center. But there's an interesting development. Mark Lewinsky, who we've talked about in the past, is that roster, is that depth chart spot up for grabs? Is it not? I don't know if it is, Nick, but starting to think it might be because the past few practices, Glinsky's been working with the second team. Ben Bredesen has had some reps as the first team right guard. Ben Bredesen is at a really interesting camp. The Giants have trusted him to play first team right guard, 
first team left guard and first team center at all different times so far in training camp. That's three different positions. He's by far and away been the most versatile lineman in camp working with the first team. No other lineman on this roster has played three different spots with the first team offensive line so far. Bredesen now has, they've had a couple practices with JMS, Azudu and Bredesen as the, as the big three there on the interior, which I know you and I both believe is probably highest upside, but we also don't believe it should just happen because upside is not the same. Upside is only one range of if the if an outcome you know if a range of outcomes is a spectrum that's this wide or this deep the top of the spectrum azudu bredesen schmitz as your interior guys doesn't mean that it's going to always hit the top of the spectrum you could go as far down as here versus maybe a glowinski bredesen schmitz combo or a glowinski azudu schmitz combo that could be probably more in a range like this a, a, a narrow range of outcomes versus the wider range of outcomes but even so, the Giants are obviously testing out to see, Nick, if they can hit that top range of outcomes right now because they're giving some reps to that combo of Bredesen, Azudu, and Schmitz. What do you make of that? I love it. And you just want to give these guys some snaps under their belt because if something were to even happen to Glowinski, now Bredesen is cross-trained at three positions. Honestly, it's excellent news for Ben Bredesen, who we weren't ever scared that he wasn't going to make this roster. His roster spot is pretty secure with the type of versatility that he has, especially now that JC has an hour got hurt and he actually has snaps center and it seems like Joe Shane and Brian Dable and Bobby Johnson trust him at center if something were to ever happen to John Michael Schmitz. I also believe just because this has kind of been a trend, we talked about trends a little bit earlier, maybe they're actually entertaining Mark Lewinsky being the swing interior offensive lineman who could play left guard and right guard and Ben Bredesen getting the right guard spot. I lean towards it's more just cross training and seeing what works best and then they're going to evaluate from there but much more of an open competition than it did, let's say, even last week, just because we're actually getting Mark Lewinsky riding pine for a little bit and Ben Bredesen stepping into his head. And we know how consistent Ben Bredesen has been for the Giants. It might not be the flashiest. Are there some mistakes sometimes? Sure. I think Mark Lewinsky is a better overall run blocker. But if you're talking about consistency and pass protection, and that's the one part of the the Giants that, that we want to see expanded, right? Explosive plays, more downfield passing. It's going. You're going to need better protection on the right side of the line. That just doesn't come from Evan Neal. It also comes from whoever's playing right guard. And I think Ben Bredesen offers a little bit more upside than say someone like Mark Lewinsky in, in that regard. Yeah. I'm really interested to see the the rise for Bredesen. Bredesen to me is somebody who should be in the starting lineup week one. I don't know if that means at the expense of Azudu or Glowinski, but I believe he probably should be in the starting lineup in week one, just because I feel more safe, Nick, that he's going to be a little more consistent than both of those players in pass protection. And for me, Yes, I want the run game to work great. I think the run game can still work pretty well with Bredesen versus those guys in the run game, even if he offers a little bit less on the move than either of those players. But I'm really focused on getting that pass game right, not messing up things on the interior offensive line in the pass game, not, you know, get, just the way you see Bredesen work those one-on-ones so far, this is a prob- part of the reason for me, Nick, just watching these one-on-ones. I feel like Bredesen's been by far and away the best interior offensive lineman in these one-on-ones out of all the guys. Um, obviously, it's a difficult task for some of them who have to face Dexter Lawrence more than others. That's not as easy thing to do. Like you're re- If your sample size is four reps against Dexter Lawrence versus sample size with zero reps against Dexter Lawrence, Sure, it's not a fair comparison to go against the guy who has four reps against Dick Dexter, but I just feel like I've seen a little bit more consistency, not just there, but throughout the tape last year with Bredesen in bass protection. He had a very good rep against Rakeem Nunez Rochez, who was yes. back at practice. I'm not sure if we mentioned that on the podcast at one point, but he's back practicing after he was in the concussion protocol. 
And Raheem Nunez wrote Ches Nacho. He's not really a pass rusher, but I still just loved how he handled it because he made the initial contact on Nacho. Nacho went right with the bull rush, and you could see if you look closely, Ben Bredesen makes initial contact with his outside hand, gets the inside hand to steer, and it slows down Nacho. Nacho's trying to explode up low to high and then lift Ben Bredesen. Ben Bredesen doesn't allow that. He gets pushed back a little bit, but then he senses that Nacho is going to another move to the inside. You could see Ben Bredesen anticipate that and then just shift his weight, keeping his feet active and just mirroring Nacho in a one-on-one. That's difficult. Even if Nacho isn't the best pass rusher, but it's still very difficult. You don't have a center to your right. You don't have a tackle to your left. It's you mano a mano against a player who is a veteran like Nacho. So I felt like that was a really impressive one-on-one rep for Ben Bredesen. Completely agree with that. I'm excited about that one and Bredesen as well. Anything else from today's and yesterday's practice that stood out to you depth chart wise or anything that, that we might've missed in this. We did see the special teamers come away with a second team interception. Cam Brown using that length. Look, I guess Cam Brown probably hasn't mastered the run game portion of playing linebacker, but there's always going to be this little part of me. Remember how he was used at Penn State? He was oh, yeah. used. He was used as a nickel. He was used way. He was used outside the numbers. Sometimes he was used all over the place for uh, the Nittany Lions. There's a little part of me, Dan, that wishes he got more defensive snaps. I completely understand why he does. Understand that. Yep. But that length. 34-inch arms, Dan, that's longer arms than I think every starting offensive lineman that's not a tackle. It might actually be the yeah. same as Evan Neal, because I think Evan Neal has 34-inch arms. Off the top in of my head, if I In a world, he should be the Giants' best coverage linebacker. In an ideal world, it's not. In an ideal he should be world. getting in passing lanes with his length. It's what I originally envisioned with him, and then blitzing occasionally from that spot, either drop or blitz, drop or blitz. But obviously, it's not an ideal world. The Giants don't trust him to set the edge at all, I believe. And they obviously, and I don't know if he's positioning himself well. Like the, the rigors of the NFL, especially when you're six foot six, and if, yeah. if you're not certain on where to be, that little slight hesitation, you're going to get blown away right. by some of these pulling guards. So that's more than likely the reason. But he tipped the pass from, I think it was Tyrod Taylor, it might have been Tommy DeVito, and Carter Coughlin ended up coming down with it. And it was just cool to see that duo because those guys yeah. are actually like really close. Really close friends. Funny, actually, a little quick story. Last year before the season, my girlfriend, she was in New York City. She was uh, with uh, like a brother or something like that. And she was like, two Giants players are here. And I was like, oh, who? And it was Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin with their uh, wives or their girlfriends or whoever it was. And she took a picture. And I was like, oh, shit, it's Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin. That's pretty cool. (laughs) That is pretty cool. And they've both been excellent contributors on special teams. Like you don't want to forget that those guys make an impact on special teams. Cam Brown, his length, we talk about maybe it hurts him a little bit as a run defender, but it also helps him a lot in keeping a roster spot on special teams, which is more important to him probably right now. I think it could be cutthroat though with the, the know, depth of the roster right now. It might just be one roster spot between the and two. We'll of them. do that by the way. We'll do a 53 man roster prediction probably sooner than later. We'll do multiple of them. It's going to be really interesting this year to do it, Nick. I'm really excited. This is going to be one of the most fun ones to try to predict in a while based on like what you just said. This roster is so much deeper than it's been in a while for the Giants. In a long time, I feel like this is the deepest roster they've had in a while. I want one more uh, one more thing before we get out of here, too. We touched on how Evan Neal is in the concussion protocol and and the dislocated finger for Darren Waller. We don't have anything on the Waller thing. Hopefully, it's a slight dislocation, yeah. and he may take a couple practices off and return. It doesn't seem like it's serious, but we'll hold off on that. But with Evan Neal, just because he is in the concussion protocol now, hopefully he comes out of it. You never know what those things. Gotcha. Matt Parrott was a tackle who came in yeah. and, and subbed for him once he got injured. I'm not certain if Corey Cunningham and Debra Hamilton were there at practice, but if Matt Parrott, and we've talked about this, I think recently, is that swing tackle, that's an issue for the New York Giants. Yes. I'm surprised it wasn't Tyree Phillips. It was Matt Parrott today. 
Um, I'm wondering if Tyree Phillips practiced or not, though. Yeah, he might have not practiced today. I think that's actually what happened. So, but maybe he is the guy if he's if he's playing. Uh, I'm not exactly sure about that, but yeah, it's an issue because Matt Parrott may be progressing in training camp or whatever. You may see some positive reports. The film has not been pretty for him in pass protection. I still think he can be a good run blocker in pass protection. It's not pretty. And if you're out there as a liability in pass protection, what did we see? Was it the Baltimore game or the Arizona game from a couple years ago? Baltimore uh, game where he gave up three sacks in a row. Well, Baltimore. some of it was schemed specifically towards him. Towards and- him, right. That was my point, though. Like, in that Baltimore game, you have a deposing defensive coordinator at the time, Wink Martindale, if I remember right, who's yeah. looking at the film being like, this dude has no chance in pass protection. Let's scheme specifically to attack him in pass pro. And he's not going to be the only coordinator who comes up with that type of stuff. So just don't feel comfortable about Parrot and pass protection. That makes me not feel comfortable about him as the swing tackle. I hope he's improved in that regard. It remains to be seen. The training camp, uh, I'm sorry, the preseason film with Parrot is going to be very important in that regard. Yeah. We'll have to keep an eye on that, you and I, Nick, especially in pass pro. But yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at with him as a, a potential swing tackle option. Against uh, that was 2020 with with the Matt Parrot thing. I'm not sure how many times Daniel Jones was sacked in oh, that game. That Daniel Jones is just getting was, He's was coming he off hurt? like a he was hurt going into that, yeah. that series mm-hmm. of games. Cardinals, yep. Ravens, Jones was hurt with a high ankle, playing through a high ankle, a and hamstring. then getting absolutely destroyed. Oh, a hamstring, and then getting absolutely destroyed by his right tackle out there. Just a yeah. like we don't need to go over this. We already know this. One of the best things we like about Jones is his toughness. I mean, this dude is such very a tough competitor. That was a crazy stretch of game for Jones coming back in that season. And Dan, honestly, we don't talk about this enough. Like we critique Jones's skill set and, and some of the stuff that we would like for him to improve on tape. But his toughness and the work ethic are two things that I think Joe Shane has circled. And that's not ubiquitous. That's not everywhere. You think it is among yeah. quarterbacks, but how many like horror stories have you heard from other sure. fan bases about their quarterbacks not putting in the necessary work or kind of checking out once they get hit? Daniel Jones, he has neither of those issues. Neither of those issues are within his wheelhouse, man, because Daniel Jones works his ass off and he's tough as nails. Yeah, he doesn't see ghosts. Um, one final thing, uh, no, no ghost for sin for, for Daniel. One final thing I didn't bring up. Just want to talk about real quick. One of the Hyatt touchdowns, uh, the ball Jones threw on the one where he was rolling a little bit out of the pocket, moving to his yeah. right and then reset. He, he did reset his feet. So it's not fully off platform. But what I mean by that is the shoulders are not squared on that throw. When you have squared shoulders into a throw, it's a lot easier to deliver it on target with velocity and on time. When your shoulders aren't squared, like they weren't in that clip for him. I love the way that he could change the trajectory on the football while maintaining velocity and ball placement down the field, not in the short, not in the intermediate while having his shoulders basically flipped toward the target, which makes it a much more difficult throw for the quarterback in this regard. So I thought that was a really interesting throw by Jones. I thought the arm talent on that one was really impressive. Bro, he almost outthrew Jalen Hyatt. Yeah. On that throw. Like that that was a very impressive throw. Like Jalen Hyatt had to extend and great job by him to concentrate and pluck that out of the air. Something maybe we we didn't focus enough on. I know we brought up a little bit earlier in the podcast, but him coming out of Tennessee, we acknowledged it, but so far through camp his hands have been very yes. impressive. That was something you brought up. And I looked after my first review of him when we did the, the discussion, you taught, you said that. And I was like, you know what? I want to give this a second look. And I watched a little bit more. And I was like, I do like that. The hands are better because I still don't think he's the most physical receiver at the contact point, no. And that could have mm-hmm. hurt him at some point. I still am concerned about post-catch creativity, not okay. post-catch in space. If he has a lane, I think he can take it. But the hands are big. When you can pluck away from frame, when you can come down with the with, and not drop those passes, it it's the difference between like a Darius Slayton type and like let's think of another version of that that doesn't have drop issues. Like whoever that would maybe be. Like maybe like, uh, not going to compare the two, but 
and not a Jalen Waddle. That's not a fair. Uh, that's the guy I was thinking of. Yeah, personally. but he's now that's that's another level. Another that's another level. level. So I'll say this: the the play from college that. And if anybody wants to check it out, I have a bunch of his clips on our Twitter. It's uh, if you scroll down, it doesn't have a lot of views because it kind of got silenced on the YouTube. By YouTube. On the YouTube, yeah, yeah, on the YouTube. I said Twitter. I'm sorry. Yeah, on the YouTube, it got silenced by YouTube for copyright reasons, oh, which is man. fine. But it's fine. Like it's allowed to be posted, but you can't monetize on the video. But it also okay. suppresses it. But if anybody wants to see like all of his highlights, all of his explosive plays, like, we have it. Just scroll down the feed, and you'll find it. All of the explosive plays from every year that Jalen Hyatt played at Tennessee. And it's a fun watch. If you just want to kill a few minutes, the fun watch. And I also put his introductory press conference over it. So you can also listen to that as you're watching him kick ass in college. But the play that really stuck out to me from his senior season was the Missouri play, which you'll see on that play. It was the one where it was like a deep post. He just kind of shaked the defender, broke over the middle of the field. There was no safety there. And the throw was a little bit towards his inside. And he had to track it into his hands. And he didn't score the touchdown. He got tackled at like the two or three yard line. But the tracking was the one thing that I was like, that's a very impressive catch. Yes. Very difficult catch when you're running that way and the ball is thrown inside and you don't flip your hips around to contort. You actually just like kind of look up and just try to adjust your hands behind yourself as your momentum's going in the exact opposite direction. Very difficult catch. And that was one of the uh, plays that, that really stuck out to me from his college days. That's always been, in my opinion, one of the most hard to quantify but important traits to 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 evaluate a wide receiver by when you're looking at his tape coming from college to the NFL. Ball tracking on the vertical plane. I love Hyatt's ability to track the ball. I loved it with Josh Palmer previously in previous classes. I think it's a really important trait that doesn't often get discussed because it's not easy to quantify by like a 40-yard dash or like whatever, combine stats or the numbers, the yards after the catch, like things you can look at for other traits you can look into those types and catch rate all that stuff it doesn't really have a metric yet for it it's kind of just eye test film but ball tracking is incredibly important on the vertical plane i think hyatt's a really does a really good job of that i want to say one more thing before we go i feel like from looking at just the film that giants have posted to, to their accounts and credit to like bobby skinners of the world and giants take podcasts of the world who are taking videos though i know now you're like shut down from taking them at camp or whatever that we've had a lot more wow throws from the quarterback position than we've had in a training camp in a really long time for the Giants. And that's something interesting to me. I don't want to make too much of it, but you talked about the, we talked earlier. I love the throw to Hyatt that I just discussed where he's rolling to his right. I know he has a chance to reset his feet, but the shoulders are not squared and he just rips that thing downfield. I love the tight window throw to Hyatt from a few practices ago by the sideline where he kind of fits that in the window Jones and puts it right on Hyatt who catches it, drags his feet. I feel like we're getting a lot more wow throws from the quarterback position than we've had in a while. And that could be something that translates hopefully to the regular season. It seems like that. There's a lot more excitement and for good reason. Last year, we entered the season like, hey, we got a new coach. Let's see what happens. Yeah, we, we were a little bit more optimistic than, than many others. But in training camp, we weren't overly optimistic because remember, man, Daniel Jones was getting his ass kicked. Everything was so negative surrounding the Giants offense. But we just trusted Mike Kafka coming from Kansas City and Brian Dable coming from Buffalo. And then they exceeded our expectations. But now we're going in like, hey, we want a playoff game. We can make the playoffs again. The schedule's a little bit but difficult. We'll yeah. go over our predictions a little bit later on. But there's much more optimism surrounding the Giants. And I also just feel like the Giants social media team, credit to them. I think they're doing an excellent job covering training camp and also bringing the fun vibes by like interviewing the players with these creative right. questions. I, I think they're doing a great job. Yeah. Shout out to the Giants social media team. Hook us up with something. I don't know what it is. Give us something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, all right. That's all we have for today on the Big Blue Banter podcast. Keep it locked and loaded. Thank you. Have a great rest of your weekend. And we'll talk to you soon.